Sacred means sanctified, it means set aside, it means holy, it means something God-ordained and divine. And we believe that our relationships are not just a practical part of life, but they're actually designed by God, that there is a divine element to the relationships that you have in your life, in the difficult moments and in the good moments. Oftentimes we learn and grow the most in the difficult moments, and oftentimes that's how God actually works in our lives. And so um, the world that we live in really has become so focused on self that we have, as a society, made the highest point of our existence our comfort, our satisfaction, our self-gratification, our own fulfillment, and we live by mantras that you will often hear on social media and on media in general where people will say to you, just do what feels right for you. Have you ever heard that one? Like, do whatever is, it just feels right for you. If it feels good and if it feels right and if it's not hurting anybody else, then it's the right thing for you to do. Or, or they say, don't let anybody tell you how to live your life. You be the captain of your, your own ship and, and the master of your own destiny, and you go out and you just do whatever is in your heart to do. Um, another one of those mantras is just follow your heart above all else. Um, but the Bible tells us that our hearts can be deceptive, that our hearts are often filled with self-deception and, and all kinds of malice and all kinds of greed. And so sometimes we need to take a look at what's in our hearts, and we need to ask God to work in our hearts and to speak to us. But our world tells us that as long as you're doing what feels good to you and what feels right for you, um, then, then that's what's right. That my truth is different to your truth. And so I can just live out my truth regardless of, of what, how that impacts others. And so these ideas in our world today have crept into our view of marriage, crept into our view of the church community. You know, people come to church and they think, well, as long as my needs are fulfilled, as long as I get what I want out of this church, but if I don't like the music, or if I don't, if I don't like how the pastor preaches, or if I don't like how that guy looked at me, or, or, or how that girl greeted me, or if, I don't, if there's some part of this thing that doesn't feel like it just absolutely meets every need that I have, then I'll just find another one that meets my needs. So there's no sense of calling, or purpose, or, or plan, or, or divine appointment. It's just like whatever feels good is where I'll connect. And people treat church that way, they treat relationships that way, um, they treat community that way, and, uh, and it has led to an epidemic in our world today where we are seeing more broken relationships and more brokenness as a result of relationships than at any other time in history, where people are completely disillusioned um, by relationships and by marriage and by uh, these things, and there's so much fear and, and myth going around about relationships. And that's because, as I said last week, we have, as a result of all these things, approached our relationships and have, in general, started approaching relationships with the question, what can I get from this? What am I personally getting out of this? How is this meeting my needs? How is this making me happy? And if it's not meeting my needs in the way that I like it or making me happy in the way that I expect it to be happy, then it's a bad relationship and I should leave and I should find the relationship that makes me happy. And so our relationships have almost exclusively become self-centered and greedy and, 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 and selfish because we've made it all about us. And today we're going to talk a little bit about marriage um, and I want to share a message with you entitled Sacred Marriage. And I you know, want to just show how this concept of marriage is all about me, it's all about fulfilling my needs, it's all about me getting what, what I want, marriage is all about me being happy, how that has actually corrupted the idea of marriage 
and put us in a position where we put pressure on our spouse to fulfill all of our needs, to be everything that we need them to be. We enter into marriage as a result of all of these, these pressures and all of these desires and all of this, uh, you know, des- the desire that we have to have our own needs fulfilled. We often enter into marriage with fear. What if my needs are not fulfilled? It's one of the reasons why people are delaying getting married later and later and later in our world today, because they say, what if this relationship specifically or this marriage specifically doesn't meet every need that I have? What if it doesn't meet everything that I feel I need? They go into it with with different desires and needs and fears, and, and essentially, they ask their spouse to fulfill them completely. In the words of the, the well-known theologian and, and fictional sports agent, uh, Jerry Maguire, uh, you might have heard this one. I just want to put up a, a great quote there. I love you. You complete me. Okay? Just turn to the person next to you right now. Just say, you complete me. Just go ahead. I know it'll be a bit awkward if you don't know them. But this is bad theology this morning, right? That is bad theology from Jerry Maguire that, that he is asking his wife to complete him and making a statement that she completes him. I don't know if you've ever been on a diet that required you to substitute some sort of food for another version of that food. Anybody tried a food substitute here this morning? Right. Um, if you've ever, for example, instead of real full cream, creamy, delicious milk, tried like almond milk, right? I didn't even know that you could milk an almond, but apparently you can. And then you try this on, it's watery, and it comes, you know, just from an almond, which is weird. And, and if, you've ever tried, if you've ever tried chocolate, instead of real chocolate, you went for carob or some sort of stevia plant, you know, extract. And you try, and you're convincing yourself because you know this is what you should do. And you're like, mmm, Yeah, it's just like chocolate. It's nothing like chocolate. Stop lying to yourself. It's not fulfilling you in any way. Um, I love how if you go to pizza stores these days, a pizza pizza place, um, instead of a proper, you know, pizza base, they now have cauliflower bases for pizza. I've never heard of a worse idea in my life. It's absolute sacrilege. We cannot be making pizza bases out of cauliflower, people. What does the world come to? Um... And here's the thing, that none of the substitutes are ever quite as good as the real thing. None of the things that we substitute are ever quite as good as the real thing. And there are a lot of people that believe that they are not complete without a husband or a wife, without their spouse, or without their spouse doing what they need them to do. A lot of single people think that I'll only be complete when I have a spouse, and their entire life becomes about getting married. Their entire lives becomes about finding that special person. And there's a, there's a godly desire in that, and we're not denying the desire. But the problem is when you start to already, before you've met the person, put all the expectation on them to fulfill your needs, to make you whole, to make you the person that you feel that you want to be. Because the truth is, is that all of us have a God-shaped vacuum, spiritual vacuum on the inside of us. And God is the only one big enough to fill that vacuum. God is the only one big enough to fill that void. And so when we don't look to God, we will, by way of nature, find substitutes. 
find things that we can use to try and make us feel a little bit less empty because rather than letting Jesus fulfill us, rather than letting our relationship with Him give us our significance and our worth, we think that our spouse or the person that we are in a relationship with will give us that. And that's just a substitute. We find substitutes in multiple different ways, through money, through our career, through addiction sometimes, through success, through recognition. But for millions of people around the world, they have substituted this God-shaped void on the inside of them with marriage, with a spouse, with somebody um, that they can stand in that relationship with. And ultimately, that makes marriage all about you. That makes marriage all about your needs being met and all about you being fulfilled. And asking your spouse to fill that void dooms the relationship and dooms them to failure. They become crushed under the burden of trying to please you, of trying to make you happy, of trying to to be the person you expect them to be. And the problem is that when the relationship is all about you, when you're so busy serving yourself through your relationships, you have no time to be a servant to the other. When When you're focused on how are my needs being met, you're no longer focused on how am I meeting the needs of the person I'm in the relationship with. And relationships can only work when you have people that have committed to serve one another. So regardless of what Jerry Maguire might say this morning, we do not complete each other. We're complete in Christ. The scriptures tell us that that in him we have been made complete. And that enables us to serve each other wholeheartedly. Because the gospel calls us to serve each other, and and I'm going to try and illustrate this, but serve each other wholeheartedly and not wholeheartedly. Not with a hole in our hearts that needs to be filled, but complete, because we are complete. So I want you to know this morning as, as a first point that you're complete in Christ. And that means that you do not need to put pressure on your spouse to make you complete, but as a whole person, you can love them with all of your heart. That's the first step to, to a marriage that, is, that um, is the kind of marriage that God would want for us where we can serve each other in that way. This is part of the sacred beauty of marriage, which is what I want to talk to you about today. I thought that before I go any further, if there are any married couples here today or any people that are considering getting married, I'd give you some free advice. Everybody up for some free advice this morning? Some free marriage advice. I often share this at at weddings, and so I thought I would extend the courtesy to you. This is completely free of charge. Um, And so number one for married couples, get a dishwasher. Okay, that's just, the gospel gets practical sometimes, and i got to let you know that a dishwasher has saved many, many marriages. Come on. Number two for the guys, when your wife says to you, just do whatever you want. Do not do whatever you were going to do. Cancel every single plan that you've ever made. Assume the fetal position and stay very, very still, okay? Women, men annoy the woman that they love. It's fun. We don't know why we do it. But for us, marriage is about finding that one person we want to annoy for the rest of our lives, okay? So if you're married to somebody, men, just look over to them and say, I chose you. I choose you every day. Number four, this is for the guys especially, share domestic responsibilities, guys. Don't be like the husband uh, who, when his wife said to him, 
hey, honey, will you whisper dirty things into my ear? He said, the kitchen, the living room, the patio. Don't be that guy. Share responsibilities in the home. Number five, when walking in the mall, hold each other's hands. This is because happy couples do things together, plus it prevents them from spending too much money, okay? <laughs> and number six, the Bible speaks into this. It says, don't go to bed angry. Don't stay up late fighting. Go to bed because you're going to need your energy to win that fight in the morning, okay? <laughs> that last part's not in the Bible, but you know what I'm saying. So that's some free marriage advice for you this morning, um, but I'm going to read from Ephesians 5, the section of the New Testament where Paul writes to married couples, and he begins to, to show us how the relationship between a husband and wife is something so sacred, something that, that God asks us to approach with the right perspective and the right understanding, and how it's actually a, a reflection of the gospel. It's actually a reflection of what God has done for us, and I'm going to read it this morning. I chose to read it out of the Amplified Bible because it just puts the fullness of those, those Greek words used here, um, and it just displays them a little bit more and, and gives some more clarity. So Ephesians 5 verse 22 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. Be subject, submit to your husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. We know that, that a family, as any team working together, cannot work without leadership, cannot work without direction, cannot work without guidance. And God has chosen to set the family up in this way, where the husband has the responsibility of leading the family as Christ is the head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives be subject to their husbands in everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. Husbands, love your wives. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with a caring, unselfish love, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the husbands are are called upon to love their wives in an absolutely self-sacrificial way. Not about how is my wife fulfilling my needs, but how can I serve my, my wife in the same way that Jesus gave up everything to serve the church, to die for us, to give his life up for us. So that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of, with the word of God so that in turn he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy, set apart for God, and blameless. That's us as the church. Even so, husbands should and are morally obligated to love their own wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own body, but instead he nourishes and protects and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members, parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and they shall be joined and, be faithfully, and, and uh, shall be faithfully devoted to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. That's the mystery and the beauty and the sanctity of what happens in marriage is that the two people become one. They become one flesh. He goes on to say, the mystery of the two becoming one is great. But I am speaking with reference to the relationship of Christ and the church. This is where marriage, the two becoming united as one flesh, is actually a picture 
of what Jesus, or what happens between us and Jesus, where we are united with Him through a relationship. Verse 33, however, each man among you, without exception, no exceptions, is to love his wife as his very own self, with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. And the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him and prefers him and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him, and holding him dear. I just love how the Bible doesn't mince its words. It doesn't look for excuses. It doesn't give us a way out. It doesn't tell us, hey, you can, if, you, if, if you feel fulfilled, then you can be faithful to your marriage. If, you're, if, you just really, if all your needs are being met and you're completely happy, then you have the right to be a good husband or a good wife. It speaks into that and it says, no, this is a commitment. This is a covenant. This is a choice that we make every single day. And we looked at the four loves last week um, and we looked at how how agape, the God kind of love, is an unconditional love based on a choice to stand in a committed covenant with a person and to apply our heart and apply ourselves and apply everything that we are to that person. And so we don't look for the marriage to work in order to remain faithful. We remain faithful, and that makes the marriage work. That makes the two uh, stand in this covenant together. As long as two agree, they can walk together. And so I'm, I'm going to just break that apart a little bit and share a few thoughts on marriage this morning. Um, but before we do that, let's just go ahead and pray together. Jesus, we thank you this morning for marriage. We thank you for relationships. We thank you for every person that is married here today, Lord, that stands in a relationship today. We thank you for their covenant. We thank you for their committed relationship, Lord, the commitment in their hearts. And we thank you, God, for protection. We thank you that where there are people struggling in marriage, we thank you for refreshing. We thank you for perspective. We thank you for grace, Lord. This morning for help for those that are, that are walking through the difficult journey often of marriage, Lord. We thank you that you bring courage and strength and perspective and faith to walk that journey out to its end, Lord, to its complete picture that you had for it, Lord. And we also pray for those that are not married, that are hoping to be married, Lord. We thank you, God, that, 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 uh, that in every one of those situations that you help us to pursue marriage in the right way, that you help us, Lord God, to understand it in the right way and to evaluate, Lord God, the commitment that we're making and our approach to it correctly, Lord, that we find ourselves complete and significant in you before we make that pursuit, Lord. And we also thank you, Father, for those perhaps amongst us that are called not to marry, that because of the gospel, Lord, we can know this morning that we, are, we can be complete and fulfilled and satisfied in Christ and Christ alone without needing to, to, to find a, a spouse, Lord God, in this life. And that is if you've called us to it, Lord God. And we thank you for each of those categories of people. Your grace is here today. Your spirit is speaking. And Lord God, you are causing us to grow in every area. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen, amen. So, Marriage, in talking about marriage, um, is one of the oldest institutions in human history. It dates all the way back to creation, all the way back to the God, and all the way back to what God intended between Adam and Eve as He created them, and, uh, and created them both in His in his own image. And through thousands of years, through generations, and through many different cultures, this idea, this concept of a man and a woman com committing to themselves, or, or themselves to each other for a lifetime has been upheld. For thousands of years, this concept has existed. And for as long as, as it has existed, that's about as long as there have been troubles in marriage as well. That's as long as there have been difficulties in marriage, and trials in marriage, and challenges in marriage. 
divorce is not something new. It's, it's escalated in our society, but divorce was instituted all the way back in the time of Moses, right? At, at that time of the institution of the, of the covenant of marriage, divorce is something that came actually through Moses as he allowed and, and, and said that because of the hardness of people's hearts, even though the scriptures are very clear that God hates divorce, that it is something that breaks his heart, that it is something he wants to spare us all from, that at, there was a time when men would abandon women and would leave them on the streets, and they were not able to marry again. They were not able to continue with their lives. Essentially, they would become homeless, living on the streets because they had been put out by their husbands without a certificate of divorce telling them that they can move on with their lives. And so God never wanted to institute divorce as something that he desired or something he would ever want for any of us, but because of the hardness of people's hearts and because of the brokenness of situations, God said and, and instituted through Moses that if it is that people are, and that women are going to be put out by their husbands, then at the very least that they can do is give them a certificate saying that they can move on with their lives. And so it was something that came about as a result of the brokenness of human relationships and the brokenness and the abuse that happened uh, in those days, but not something that God ever wanted for us. But it's existed since all the way back then. I've been asked many times to officiate marriages or uh, to be an MC at weddings. And, and whenever you've gone online, if you've ever been asked to speak at a wedding and you've gone online and searched jokes about marriage, they're almost exclusively negative, right? They're almost exclusively cynical. All of them are, are, are talking about how bad, and I thought I could repeat some of them this morning, but I don't want any of that negativity around here at Anchor Church. But if you, I found it so difficult to find um, a joke about marriage that was just not negative about marriage itself. This concept is, is cynical, and, and cynicism is really just um, hurt parading itself around as comedy or wit. It's actually hurt. So many people have been hurt through broken marriages, either their own broken marriage or the home that they grew up in. So many kids today grow up in, in, in homes that are broken, growing up in two homes instead of one. And so it's actually easy to see why people are so skeptical these days. It's easy to see why marriage has been painted as an outdated institution, because it's safer. It comes across as safer to people if they say, well, I don't have to commit myself because then I'd have to go through divorce, so I'll just, we'll just live together, and we'll just do everything that married couples do, because that way I can leave the back door open in case I need to get out, in case I need to leave, in case I need to uh, turn back on my commitment, or in case I'm not sure if this person will fulfill their commitment to, to me. And so our world has been through um, seasons of looking for alternatives to marriage, all of which fail dismally consistently. I remember doing a speech in, in English class um, years ago, and my English teacher was actually kind of in the middle of a divorce at that time, and, uh, which I found out later. And, and I, was, I was asked to speak on marriage. This was what the, the topic was for our English class. We had to do a speech. And so obviously, being you know, a, quite a passionate Christian at high school already, I went to this scripture in Ephesians 5, and I did this whole speech on Ephesians 5. And, um, and I got bad marks for that speech, not because I did a bad speech, but because I said that, wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> and my English teacher, going through that brokenness, not, not a Christian, not from the kind of worldview that we have, not with the same values, it's like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that it says that, that wives must submit, and, um, and, and that's, it sounds so patriarchal, and in our society, it even sounds oppressive, and so it's easy for the world to 
discredit and discard what the Bible says about marriage, and it's not even a complete picture of what it means to be submissive or to submit. That doesn't mean that, that you're not valued or that you're not honored or that you're not, that you're not strong or that, or that you're in some sense uh, um, unequal uh, to your husband. The idea of submission to the word sub just means under. And mission, like a submarine, is under the water. Submission means to get under the mission of your husband, to, to, to get behind him, to support him, to encourage him as he fulfills his role of, of uh, leading uh, the family. It, it's so much easier to lead when you have support and guidance. As, as the lead pastor of a church, I can tell you that not everybody always has an, an attitude of let's get behind the pastor, let's get behind the leadership, let's, let's help this team win. And so oftentimes you get leaders that are leading people that don't want to be led, and it most often leads to a breakdown in relationship. The team doesn't function well. When that's a, if there's no trust towards the leader and there's no honor from the leader towards those that are being uh, led, then there's a breakdown in trust and it doesn't work. And in marriage, it doesn't work when there isn't somebody who can lead and somebody who can, who can submit and encourage and support. And so the world takes up its own idea of what marriage should be and its own idea of how it should, should work. But taking marriage advice from the world or from society is like getting financial advice from someone who's broke, from somebody who has consistently lost all of their money, and the stats go to prove that. Getting marriage, marriage advice from the world is like getting advice from the Lions about how to win a rugby game in Christchurch. They just don't know. They've been there three years in a row. They come back every time going, we don't know. We just don't know how to do this. Painful. And so the world can't speak into this. If you're crushing it, if you're killing it, you can earn the right to speak into that. But the world is failing dismally at marriage. And so I don't think we should adopt its ideas in terms of how to lead uh, and have a healthy marriage. And so I want to mention a few things about marriage this morning to bring clarity and to encourage us and to encourage you in your journey. And the first one is, is that marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. It didn't start in the world. It didn't start with human history and society. It started with God right back in Genesis 2. And in verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner, a helpmeet for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is God instituting marriage right all the way back in the garden with the first couple that were ever alive, and, and, and it's his idea. There's something so incredibly deep about this passage. The ancient, in the ancient language, the, the word for rib and the word for life come from the same root. God had, had created mankind in his image. The scriptures say God created mankind in his image. Male and female, he created them. And so men do not have an exclusive claim on the image of God, and women do not have an exclusive claim on the image of God. The truth is both men and women represent aspects of God's nature. 
Both of us fully and completely represent God. And there's something so beautiful when, when man sees the woman arrive, he goes, we have come from the same place. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I belong with this person. And when there is a unity between man and woman in the covenant relationship where the two become one, it's like we are able to show the world the full image of the aspect and the nature of God. It's an incredible testimony of who God is because you have unity between two expressions of God's nature. And so there's beauty in it, there's, there's sanctity in it. We reflect God, and it explains why marriage is such a deep relationship, why we have this deep connectedness and this radical unity and kinship and even sexual attraction when two people come together. When a man and a woman come together, the connection is so life-giving that all other relationships become secondary. All other relationships are secondary, and it's the only relationship that can produce life and produce a community which in, within children can find safety, a safe haven in a very, very harsh world to be raised and to be whole and to be happy. To, to meet God and to, and to have the nature of God represented to them. And so marriage is God's idea, not the world's idea. And we shouldn't allow the world to dictate to us how we should approach marriage and how we should value marriage. We value marriage because of what God has, has said it is. The second point this morning is that Jesus believes in marriage. So marriage is God's idea, and this might go without saying, but Jesus believes in that idea. He was passionate about marriages when he was here on earth. I love the fact that Jesus' first, first miracle was at a wedding, that he went to a wedding. In those days, you know, you look at, the, at, at a wedding and somebody sends you an invite and, uh, and you see that that wedding is at the same time as the rugby and you're like, oh my gosh, another Saturday where I'm going to miss the rugby because of this wedding and it's, I've got to give up a whole afternoon. And, uh, and I, I do a lot of weddings. I go to a lot of weddings. Um, at one point, I was, a, I was an MC at a wedding where they put it at the same, on the same night as a Tri-Nations game back then between South Africa and Australia. And unfortunately for the couple, there was a bar literally just across the passage from where the reception was. And so the reception was essentially empty for two hours. And all the guys and even some girls were across in the bar and sometimes the groom himself as well, watching the rugby. And every time we needed to make a speech, I had to walk across to the bar and go, hey guys, um, we've got to, we're going to quickly make a speech. And they would kind of like walk out, we'd do the speech, and they'd all filter back in, all right? So, so don't, if you're planning a wedding, don't plan it on any day with major rugby happening. Um, but for us, sometimes we see it as a burden going to a wedding or, or some sort of a, a wedding ceremony on, on a Saturday afternoon. But back then, a wedding feast would last up to three days. It was a real commitment to go to this wedding. And Jesus went to them. And he took all of his disciples. And I love that when he sits at this wedding in Cana where he did his first, um, his first miracle, I, I love the thought of Jesus sitting there listening to the speeches. He's, he's literally sitting there enjoying the, the company of the people. He's watching the first dance. I don't know if they did first dances back then, but, but you know, he's, he, he's watching it all go down and he approves. His heart is in it. He spoke about God's intention for marriage. In Matthew 19, verse 3, Jesus said, it says, And the Pharisees came to, up to him, to Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read who created them from the beginning, made them male and female, the words of Jesus? 
and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. We shouldn't separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce, as I mentioned earlier, and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. It wasn't the original intention. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. There's a relationship there that is to be honored. And Pastor Mark Hodgetts has shared on this topic with us before, um, but the only reasons why, you know, divorce um, is acceptable in the eyes of God is when there is infidelity, when there is, when there is sexual immorality, um, and when there is abuse or abandonment. If, if the person just leaves you, or if there is abuse that is happening, those are the only contexts that we can look at where, where uh, divorce is something to be considered. But outside of that, just because you don't like the way your wife makes your coffee in the morning, or you feel that somebody else is slightly more attractive than her, or you don't like the way or the fact that your husband, like sometimes this is the case with Will and Nungi, she might not like the way that, that, that Will does DIY around the house or does not do DIY around the house. That's no reason for, for, for anybody to up and leave. Just because you're facing difficulties or challenges, God wants us because He knows the only way that a relationship can really work is when it's in the context of commitment. If you're constantly worried about whether or not the other person is going to leave on a whim, the relationship cannot work. It cannot work. And so God says, if you're going to see the fullness of what marriage is intended to be, you must upfront promise not just to love each other in the moment. When you stand on your wedding day, you're not just promising to love that person in the moment. You're promising to love them in the future as well. You're promising a future love and commitment, a choice. Remember, agape isn't based on loveliness. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on romance. It's not based on familiarity. It's not based even on friendship. Agape is based on a decision a choice to remain committed. And Jesus says, that's how God feels about it. And except for this situation with sexual immorality, you are to remain committed. So Jesus believed that marriage was God's idea, and he believed that it fulfilled a deep purpose in God's design. Number three, marriage is a reflection of the gospel. It's a reflection of the gospel. I want to just repeat those verses 32 and 33 from Ephesians 5. It says, this mystery of two becoming one is great. We don't really know the mechanics of how two people become one flesh in the spiritual sense. But he says, but I'm speaking to the reference of the relationship of Christ and the church, this reflection of the gospel. However, each man among you without exception is to love his wife as his very own self with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. And the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him and prefers him and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him and holding him dear. That's a picture of the gospel. We, we, for, for most guys, um, you know, the way that you met your wife if you're married or the way that you will, guys that are single here today, this is the only way that it's going to happen, is if you actually pursue them, is if you actually take a step to step out and to make your love known, to take a risk and to, and to make your pursuit known of them. And, 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 and in the same way, Jesus stepped out of heaven in pursuit of us. So you might have pursued your wife, you know, across the restaurant or across the party or across church, 
Um, you, you might have used a pickup line. I have a, a good set of Christian pickup lines. Any of you young guys that need advice, um, I shared it with the young adults the other night. I've got some really great pickup lines if you need. Just come and chat to me. Um, but, but you might have pursued your wife across a room, but Jesus pursued us across the universe. He stepped out of heaven and he came down to earth with one pursuit, and that was us. It was our hearts and our love that he, was, that he was striving for, that he was coming after. He went in search of his bride. He left his father's side. For that reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Jesus left his father's side, and he came in search of us as his bride. We are his most treasured possession. And he gave up everything in that pursuit. He was willing to die on the cross. And the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. No price was too great to pay. He gave up his life to give us life. And Paul says in Ephesians that husbands, this is how I want you to love agape, choice, covenant, and commitment. This is how I want you to love your wives. Pursue them in the same way that Christ pursued the church, giving everything up for them, loving them as you love yourselves. If you mistreat your wife, you're only mistreating your own self. You're mistreating your own body. It would be like harming yourself in harming your wife. So he says, love them as you, as you love yourselves. This woman, in other words, is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, and, and I love her as a part of me, and I am a part of her. And so my desire is to nourish her, to protect her, to cherish her, to, to show her the kind of, of sacrificial love that Jesus showed us. And then our role as the bride, as the church, is to respond to that love. Jesus pours out his grace to us, and we turn around and respond with submission and, and, and affection and care and obedience to whatever it is that he calls us to as he leads us. Why can we do that? Why do we submit to Jesus wholeheartedly? Why do we obey him without question? Because we are convinced that he loves us. Because we are convinced that he cares about us. Because we are convinced that he seeks our good at all times because he, that's how he feels about us. Let me tell you that if I had one shred of doubt of God's commitment and love towards me, it would affect the way that I serve him. It would, without a shadow of a doubt, affect the way that I submit to him. But because I am completely convinced of God's love and goodness and heart for me and his commitment towards me and his faithfulness towards me, it makes me faithful towards him. The Bible says that we love God because he loved us first. The Bible says that when, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he can't deny himself. And so his faithfulness makes me want to be faithful. His love makes me want to love him in return. And in the same way, husbands, when we love our wives completely, self-sacrificially, always seeking their good, it will enable them and liberate them to support you as you, are, as you are hearing from God, to encourage you, to love you, to show you all the affection that you desire because it will come out of a place of trust. That respect and that submission comes as a response and woman, that loving your husband in that way, if you encourage this, nothing good is going to come from you breaking your husband down. A lot of women have insecurity and they have fear, uh, in, even in being led. And so they find voice, they give voice to that fear or that insecurity or maybe past hurts that they're projecting onto a current relationship. And they do that by, by speaking words that cut men down that break them down, that rob them of their confidence. And I can tell you now that nothing good will come from you breaking your husband down. Even if he is messing up, because we're all on a journey. 
even if he isn't doing exactly what you expect him to, even if he is failing in some way, breaking him down is not going to make it better. And this is what the scriptures are saying. Husbands, if you want to do something that's good for yourself, even if that's your intention, then love your wife. And wives, if you want to create an environment that you would actually enjoy, then support your husband. Encourage him. It's going to help both of you. Help him be the man that God has called him to be rather than convincing him he can never be that man. It sounds so easy, it sounds so simple when we put it like this, but why do so many marriages then end? Why is there so much brokenness in marriages? Why is almost, you know, half of all the marriages that begin today end up in divorce? If you knew that every airplane at the airport that took off, 50% of them are going to crash, you know, this is exactly the reason why young people are going, I don't know if I want to get married because it's a 50-50 chance. The truth is, is that the success rate of marriages within a Christian context is far greater than what we see in the world. It's far greater, and the stats have, have, the studies have been done on that. Why do we still struggle? Here's the reason why. Because marriage is both glorious and hard. Marriage is both glorious and incredibly difficult at the same time. Marriage is hard because marriages exist between two broken people, between two people that are sinners by nature, that are selfish, that are greedy, that are insecure, and that are often broken. And marriage requires of us to change our natural instincts, how we would want to serve ourselves. It's so hard for people when they've been single for a long time to then step into a relationship. There's so much adaptation that has to happen because you have to commit and combine your life with another flawed individual who might not see things the way that you see them and who might do things differently from the way that you do them. And so marriage is difficult because we're difficult as people and we need to change in that process. Our natural instincts, we need to rein in some of our passions. We need to learn the denials of of our own desires and, and to serve each other in a selfless way. And that's something that God helps us with. The Christian view of marriage does not offer a choice between either fulfillment or sacrifice. So you can either be fulfilled or you can sacrifice. Don't put those two at odds with each other. The lack of sacrifice doesn't mean the presence of fulfillment. Instead, what marriage offers us is mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. Two servants serving each other and through that process being fulfilled. The second reason why marriage is hard is because it offers nowhere for you to hide. Guys, I'm not talking about the times when your wife's mad and you're trying to hide behind a a cupboard door or something because you're worried about what she might do to you. I'm talking about the the ability to hide your flaws, the ability to hide, you know, the, the, the insecurities that you have. Marriage, more than any other relationship, exposes you. It exposes you to you. It shows you who you really are, and it breaks down these caked conventions of goodness that you had created for yourself. It's a reality check for the rest of your life. I love the way that Judah Smith's dad, uh, the late Pastor Wendell Smith, used to say, then the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and by the Holy Spirit, I mean my wife. You know, and it's like, sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak through your spouse in a powerful way, and will just reveal your shortcomings to you, and that's not always fun. Can I have an amen this morning? I don't ask for amens often, but that is not always fun. And so marriage brings out and reveals traits in you that were there all along but were hidden from everyone, including you. 
but now they're seen. All of them are seen by you and your spouse. And so in marriage, you're exposed. You finally have your mask and finery stripped away. In a book that I would recommend for all of us to read, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, um, he speaks on this, and, and he says, marriage does not so much bring you into confrontation with your spouse as confront you with yourself. That's the real problem. You know, that's what we don't like. We don't like to admit that we have issues. And marriage gives you nowhere to hide. I believe, as I mentioned last week, that marriage is actually one of the most powerful ways that God reveals our weaknesses to us and brings us into a deeper relationship with one another and with God. The more that our flaws are revealed, the more we can, are liberated to just be ourselves because this person already knows every single bad thing about me and yet they still love me. That gives us the, the freedom to be honest and to be honest with God. The gospel gives us the same freedom. You know why it's so important that people know that God loves them in spite of what they might do? Otherwise, they will hide their sin from God. But when you know that your sin is not gonna separate you from God, what's the first thing you can say? God, I got sin, help me. You can now ask for help. You can go to God for grace. You can understand that he doesn't condemn you, but instead loves you. And so you can just be liberated into honesty. A lot of people think that when they see the flaws um, in their spouse, that the, the marriage is bringing out the worst in each other. It's true that the marriage brings out the worst in each other, but it doesn't create the worst in each other. It was there all along. It just reveals it. And it reveals our need for Jesus. It actually brings us closer to Jesus. That's what marriage was designed to do, to ultimately make us more aware of how much we need Jesus. And that's why Paul puts the entire story of marriage in the context of the gospel. It cannot work if you don't understand the gospel because you need to have grace for successful marriage. You, marriage is an expression of grace. It's like God put a clue in marriage about the key of making it work, of how to make it work. And Paul is explaining what that key is, that we need grace for each other and from Jesus, that we need help from each other and from Jesus, that we need to receive forgiveness from Jesus and from each other, that we need Jesus. Again, Tim Keller says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, which is what happens in marriage, well, is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw us. And so the gospel calls both men and women to play the Jesus role in our marriages. Men modeling sacrificial authority and women modeling sacrificial submission. And this requires a full embrace of each other and a full embrace of the gospel. You must know that you're significant. You must know that you are worthy in God's eyes. You must know your worth. And with a lack of that, of all those insecurities and fears, just give yourself wholeheartedly to another and when we do that, we're able to accept and struggle with the otherness of your spouse because they are not you and they're not called to play your role. You are two different people becoming one. And in the gospel, we're able to wrestle with that and accept it. And in the process, 
we grow and flourish in ways that would otherwise not be possible. That's God's intention for marriage, and that is why marriage is sacred. It's reflective of the gospel. It has the sanctifying mission and the sanctifying work, and it is a testimony of true agape love. When two people say, I will commit to you out of choice for the rest of my life, regardless of what I might find in you or you might find in me, we choose to remain committed to each other. It's God's idea. It's a great idea. And it's going to bless you as you serve in it more than what you know. And so we uh, believe in marriage. and We honor marriage. We hold it in high esteem and in high regard. We encourage marriages. And we know that this world is broken. And we know that breakdown happens in marriage. But we want to do everything that we can to avoid that and to support and to encourage and to strengthen our perspectives around it. And again, let me say that that doesn't mean that every single person here is called to marriage because like the Apostle Paul himself who wrote so passionately about it, he wasn't called to be married. And that doesn't mean that you can't be fulfilled. God takes each individual journey on its own merits. And in your journey, God will find other ways in relationships and, and, and development to bring you to that same place. You don't get less of the picture. But for those of us, which is the majority that are called to marriage, God has got a great intention for your marriage and a great future and a great way in which he wants to bless you through your marriage. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and, and pray together this morning.